The following program is underwritten in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, celebrating 20 years organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Meet your local farmers at organicvalley.coop. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Everything that's happened in the entire history of humanity, every poem, every act of love, everything was generated by receiving one billionth of the light from the sun. So just as we are stars in the form of humans, we're solar energy in this new form. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. We stand at the threshold of a historic opportunity in the human experiment to reimagine how to live on Earth and with each other in a way that honors the web of life. It's a revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. As the basic life support systems of planet Earth plunge into dangerous decline, in this series, Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we celebrate social and scientific innovators with breakthrough solutions guided by how nature does it. The Bioneers, combining social innovation, leading-edge science, and indigenous and traditional knowledge, creating a future environment of hope. Among the indigenous people of the Navajo Nation, perhaps the worst insult you can say to someone is this, you act like you have no relatives. When biologists describe the biological five kingdoms of life on Earth, perhaps the term kingdom is a misnomer. Science shows us that all life is related, literally. From the microbes to the mammals, we're all made of the same stuff, evolved from the same ancestors and family tree. And in naturalist John Muir's famous words, everything is hitched to everything else. In other words, we're all connected and we're all relatives. So really, we're talking about kingdoms, not kingdoms. How might the world be different if we acted as if we do have relatives? Join us for the next half hour as we unearth the wonder of our kinship with water, mushrooms, sunlight, and stardust with three remarkable bioneers, permaculturist Brock Dolman, mycologist Paul Stamets, and cosmologist Brian Swim. Their startling observations inspire us to stop our senseless trashing of the very relations that sustain us. This is from kingdom to kingdom, acting as if we have relatives. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. start with water. Water is the blood of life. Even the brain that perceives our hydrological dependence is made mostly of water. And few people have a clearer aquacentric worldview than permaculturist Brock Dolman. To Brock, water is one relative we can never live without here on planet water. My inspiration for this idea that we live on planet water really comes from the work of Lynn Margulis in many respects from the Bioneers and her understanding of that, and the Gaia hypothesis with James Lovelock, and reckoning that here it is, we live on this round being, and it's this 
respiring, metabolizing, self-organizing entity that's, and that the presence of life on this planet has begotten more life. And it's really the presence of water. Imagine 70% of the surface area of, of this planet is water. Brock Dolman is a student of water, a guardian of watersheds. As director of the Watershed Advocacy Training, Education, and Research Institute at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, Brock teaches low-impact farming methods that promote human health and encourage wildlands biodiversity. But his extensive cross-disciplinary experience ranges from wildlife biology, native California botany, and watershed ecology to what can only be called re-inhabitation. It's an interdisciplinary vision for viable human settlement that puts people back in good relationship with ourselves and our other relatives. Land restoration, social transformation. Brock says it all starts with water, the mystery of a molecule. Really less than 1% of the water that's cycling on planet water is actually what we would call fresh water that's somehow available to life. And, and yet it's providing everything we have for life and has done so for billions and billions of years. And and yet here's water. It's a molecule, right? It's H2O. It's this polar molecule. You can say it's bipolar almost. We should pass the Hatford's therapy session, right? In fact, it's tripolar. It's like, I don't know. Am I a solid? Am I a liquid? Am I a gas? I don't know. Am I evaporating? Am I sublimating? Am I condensing? What am I? Water, water, right? Imagine a molecule that can be a solid, a liquid, a gas from a saline liquid, it evaporates and forms a cloud that's a distillation process that then moves and redistributes its purified self to the to the land or back to the ocean, to all of the great places where rainfall or precipitation or snow comes down. And it can sublimate. It can go from a solid straight to a vapor without ever becoming a liquid. As a solid, it floats on its liquid self. Imagine a crystalline substance that as a snowflake, each being unique, floats as a solid on its liquid self, that ice floats. If ice didn't float on this planet, it's plausible that life would not be here as we know it. There's, there's really nothing like it on this planet. And then you've got this interesting thing where you've got this planet that's spinning on its own axis. It's going around a sun. It's got a monthly lunar thing going around it, and the sun and moon, as they, we all spin, are pulling out this bulbousness of water that that bulbousness rotates around the planet and twice daily we get a high tide to a low tide back to a high tide to a low tide and so the actual literal pulsation and the movement of that liquid oceanic pelagic substance is rotating around as we spin and this is incredible wondrous substance water it's it's hard to fathom the intertidalness a water planet where lunar cycles influence the moisture in the soil and in seeds. Ancient farmers knew it, and still today many farmers take advantage of water's cycles by planting by phases of the moon. Even the water in our bodies is subject to the subtle tug of the moon. After all, we have the salty water of an ancient sea home in us. The salt concentration in our eyes is the same as that of the ancient ocean. Living organisms, when they're actively metabolizing and growing and such, are by volume mostly water. Water is the substance that lubricates respiration, neural pathways, digestion, uh, excretion, sweating, glandular function. Water's really the thing that does that. The younger you are, by volume, the more water you are. And so a, a young baby 
can be 80, 85 percent water by volume. Um, the older you get, the less by volume water you are. So really, death is a function of dehydration. Water's pretty critical, and, and no water, no life is really the interesting challenge we're facing on this planet. And yet, fascinatingly, this is what I really like, water's finite, right? We're not making any more of it, as, as the, the old saying goes about land. There, there's no more water. All the water we've got on the planet is as much as we've had. Water is always just cycling through, and it may be a solid, it may be a gas, it may be locked up in the Arctic, it may be in groundwater for 100,000 years, it may be in the ocean, it may go through the, the evapotranspiration of a redwood and then be taken in by a bird and then back to the ocean and a creek. So it's always moving, but we're not the volume, the amount of the water itself isn't increasing or decreasing. It's finite in its quantity, but its quality is infinite because it's cycling, it's a solar-driven cycle, sun heating the water, evapotranspiring from plants or evaporating off of the ocean. So it's got this dynamic finiteness, infiniteness juxtaposition, almost a yin-yang kind of a conundrum that's, that's so sweet, right? Planet water. This infinite solar-driven hydrological cycle Brock Dolman wonders at has fostered a rich, wildly experimental diversity of life on Earth. Species come and go in response to fluctuations in the cycle. Some disappear forever. Others thrive and diverge so wildly that they carve out whole new niches of life. But of all life's responses to hydro-solar cycle, perhaps the most fascinating and least understood is fungi mushrooms. In the science news, there was an article stating that all plants are part fungi. Indeed, there are mycorrhizal fungi in the roots of trees and plants. There are endophytic fungi. There are saprophytic fungi as well as parasitic fungi. So it's interesting now that science, the more that we explore the interrelationships between organisms, we find that fungi are pervasive, that they are everywhere. In the Journal of Eukaryotic Microbiology, 27 authors co-authored a paper stating that there is a new superkingdom that should be erected. It's called Opisthacanta, and this superkingdom recognizes that fungi and animals share a more common ancestry than with any other group. Paul Stamets knows his mushrooms. He's a world-class mycologist who is as at home with an electron microscope as he is in the old-growth forest, the endangered habitat of so many members of this keystone life form. President of the mail-order business Fungi Perfecti, Paul has discovered four new fungal species, broken new ground in the cultivation of edibles and medicinals, and supplied cultures, equipment, and mycotechnologies to mushroom cultivators throughout the world. A resident of the Pacific Northwest, he's dedicated himself to learning from nature's operating instructions, how to help nature heal itself. One of the most promising expressions of his work is fungal bioremediation, which uses mushrooms to help land recover from damaging human impacts. Author of several books, including Mycelium Running, How Mushrooms Can Help Save the World, Growing Gourmet and Medicinal Mushrooms, and The Mushroom Cultivator, he's written many articles and scholarly papers. Paul received U.S. patents in 2003 and 2007 on mycopesticides, which have the potential to replace most synthetic and toxic pesticides without harming the environment. 
He spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. So some of the oldest records that we have of mushrooms can be found in amber. Uh, The oldest mushrooms found so far in amber are 90 to 100 million years old. Mushrooms had achieved their shape and form long before hominids had even evolved. Mushrooms are, are the grand molecular disassemblers in nature. They are the soil magicians. And the end consequence of the decomposition of plant and animal forms result in soil. These are the interface organisms between life and death. There's these vast networks of mycelium everywhere in the ground. Um, In a single cubic inch of soil, there can be more than eight miles of these cells. And I present to you the concept that the mycelium is sentient, it is intelligent, it knows that you're there. And because of the biodiversity of fungi in the ecosystem, when you break a stick or if you're chopping wood, there is this amazing competition of different fungal populations that reach up and try to grab that new nutrition. I spent years in front of the scanning electron microscope, and I could not help but notice that the architecture of the mycelium resembled that of neurons. And I postulated in the whole Earth review that indeed mycelium is Earth's natural internet. Now, I have to admit, I went out on a limb on this one. (laughs) Um, But I was happy to see uh, a group from Oxford at the last International Mycological Congress had two workshops specifically on the mathematics of the mycelial networks as a structural form. And when they optimized mycelial networks and the nodes of crossing and looked at Internet mathematics in this optimization, lo and behold, the mycelium had achieved a mathematical optimum the very same of that of the computer Internet. Paul Stamitz says that the teams of brainiac computer wizards who burn the midnight oil discovering and applying complex rules for the World Wide Web are just rediscovering rules and principles that fungi began weaving into the web of life eons ago. Indeed, to Stamitz, the genesis of fungi properly begins with the first life on land. More on that when we return. This is from kingdom to kingdom, acting as if we have relatives. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Among our countless relatives, mushrooms may be one of the least appreciated. As primary recyclers and digesters of life, they propel the eternal natural cycles of death and life, of destruction and restoration. And any gardener can tell you that mycorrhizal fungi have co-evolved with plants in an intimate symbiosis of you scratch my root and I'll scratch yours. But for Paul Stamets, the story of the ancient partnership between mushrooms and plants does not end there. It goes far deeper than the mycelial mats of fungi that underlie virtually all land masses, and the relationship goes much further back in time. 
I'm an amateur astronomer, and it's disconcerting to a lot of us to know that 97% of the matter in the universe is dark matter. We can't see it. You know, it all started with the Big Bang around 13.7 billion years ago. There was a spark in space. Maybe it was the touch of God. And then suddenly the, the universe was born. 4.5 billion years ago, the Earth coalesced out of stardust. And as it formed, life emerged. And the oldest organisms are approximately um, about 1.5 to 2 billion years old. The first organisms to come onto land were fungi. They came onto land 1.6 billion years ago. Plants arrived on land 600 million years ago. So fungi were on land first. But the Earth suffered a series of, of cataclysmic events. 250 million years ago, there was a great asteroid impact. And when it hit the Earth, the Earth was shrouded in dust. We don't know for how long, maybe for decades. But the Earth became darkened. Plants died. Massive species extinctions occurred. And because there was no sunlight and fungi required no sunlight, fungi inherited the earth. And then as the skies cleared and the plant communities rebounded because of natural selection, the plants that paired with fungi then were favored and they ascended. We marched forward again until 65 million years ago. You know the story. A second asteroid impacted. The earth then again was shrouded in dust and fungi re-inherited the earth. As we entered into these mycozoic periods, mutualism between plants and fungi were constantly rewarded. So the rule of life on this planet is symbiosis. The largest organism in the world is a mycelial mat in eastern Oregon. It's a mycelial mat, 2,400 acres in size, 2,200 years old. The mycelium can form this rhizomorphic strand, and this, this is a testimonial to its strength. These mycelial strands can hold 30,000 times their weight. They are tenacious. They grip the soils. They prevent erosion. They hold water. They establish vast micro-communities for all sorts of other organisms. In the mycelial network, we have five or six skin layers. The mycelium only has one. How is it that the largest organism in the world can only be one cell wall thick? It's in constant biomolecular communication with this ecosystem. So I just want to leave with you now the hope that nature is our ally. We all need to be empowered by using nature's tools. The fungi in the biosphere are reaching out to us. It is our time. Let's get busy. Thank you. Paul Stamets. We actually share about 30% of our DNA with mushrooms and fungi, far more than we do with plants. Close relatives, for sure. Yet Paul Stamets reminds us that the giant mycelial organism living in the Oregon soil is in fact another spore from a far more ancient celestial body that's far older than 2,000 years and far larger than 2,000 acres. Our blood may have been born in the oceans, we may be genetically intertwined with mushrooms, but our bodies are literally made from ancient exploding stars. Ada Carini, this is a, this is a star 
It has gone through its life cycle and is now is exploding. And as it explodes, it's releasing its, its elements into the universe. And, and out of that, we are born. Out of those elements, we come forth. That's Brian Swim, a professor of cosmology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Brian is world-renowned for his work on the relationships between the evolutionary dynamics of the universe and traditional spiritual beliefs. He's author of several best-selling books, including The Universe is a Green Dragon and The Universe Story, and the TV series Canticle of the Cosmos. In the past, we had poets and mystics sort of wondering about our relationship to the stars, and now we actually know our bodies are assembled out of stars, that our identity, our identity, who are we? We are the stars in this new form. And then in a certain sense, I feel like what we're discovering about the universe is the way in which we have to begin our education of children. Their personality formation depends upon knowing who they really are. They come literally from the stars. Their existence then stretches back billions of years if you look at the whole process that brought them forth. Now, the galaxies only formed in a certain era of the universe. Beginning 900 million years after the birth of the universe, galaxies began to take shape. And that, that era was when the universe set about creating galaxies. No new galaxies have been created since. We find ourselves then in this amazing construction event or this amazing development when things are put into place and enabling a a further development of complexity. Life comes about at a certain time on the planet Earth, never again after that moment. And, And the speculations are, if life ever were extinguished here, it wouldn't be possible to have life come about. The conditions enable a new breakthrough in creativity. So then this, what do we learn then from the universe is this. What is the universe about now? What's the, what's the creative possibility of our moment that wasn't possible before? And if, if it isn't seized upon, possibly will never be available to us again. Humans have been around for 200,000 years with the same size of brain and all the rest of it. And we did not know how the stars could generate so much energy. I mean, it's such a recent discovery, 200,000 years, and we've just discovered it, 1950. This, Isaac Newton thought the sun was a great big pile of wood. I mean, you know, his toenail is smarter than I am, but still the fact is he didn't know. Now we know that the fusion processes inside the, inside the stars are giving birth to this energy, and it, it amounts to... For our sun, 4 million tons a second is being converted into energy. Another 4 million tons. Another 4 million tons. And the amazing thing is, the sun never gets this back. So it's it's this ongoing giveaway. This is the nature of our universe. Our lives are dependent upon an ongoing giveaway. Not one involving consciousness, but in the very dynamics of the universe. We receive one billionth of the sun's light and everything that's happened in the entire history of humanity, every poem, every act of love, everything was generated by receiving one billionth of the light from the sun. So just as we are stars in the form of humans, it's also true that our activity, everything we do, 
is charged by the sun. We're just, we're solar energy in this new form. The grand mystery of our family tree of life is beyond our comprehension. Life goes about creating conditions conducive to life, whether or not we understand how. But people like Brian Swim say it's worth trying to understand. He points out, for instance, that perhaps the sun led to the invention of wings. And here's another um, sense of, of how the universe can guide us. So very quickly, the, the way scientists speculate about how flight came about is that um, insects were walking on the earth, and then they developed these thermal regulators to cool their bodies down, you know, because the sun was beating on them. And so the... Um, you know, in other words, the, the universe isn't like aiming at anything in particular. All the universe wanted, Earth, Earth's life wanted, was to cool down the insects. So it developed these thermoregulators. And then an amazing event happened. The thermoregulators got bigger because bigger thermoregulators cooled them off better. And then one day, the thermoregulators got so big, they lifted off the Earth in flight. And this was an awesome moment because, you see, the insects up to this point have developed, through their evolutionary development, a two-dimensional mind. They thought and moved in two dimensions, and suddenly they were lifted off into three dimensions that would be very confusing. <laughs> and that is exactly what has happened to humanity. We developed language, and then suddenly we were lifted off. And so we're, we're flying about. We don't even know what, what, how to really relate to the entire planet. So perhaps as a species, we're finally lifting off. Recovering ancient wisdom at the same time, contemporary science is affirming and expanding it. Brian Swim, Paul Stamets, and Brock Dolman remind us, we are part water, part mushroom, part plant, part microbe, part sun part stardust, all too human. When you get right down to it, well, that's the thing. We'll never get to the bottom of things because infinity has no bottom. But we do know this much. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. And we're all relatives. Maybe now we can start acting like we have relatives and what wondrous relatives we have. From kingdom to kingdom acting as if we have relatives. Free downloads of this program are available on the radio pages at Bioneers.org. Resources related to this show and the entire Bioneers radio series can also be found at Bioneers.org or by calling 877-246-6337. That's 1-877-BIONEER. Visit Bioneers.org to become a member, make a donation, learn about the annual Bioneers Conference, or join our thriving online community. Choose from articles, blogs, event calendars, books, podcasts, CDs, and DVDs at Bioneers.org or by calling 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel and Laird Townsend. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production assistants, Marita Prandoni. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ricodisc label. 
Additional music was made available by Sounds True at SoundsTrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. I'm Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0108. This program is underwritten in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, celebrating 20 years organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Meet your local farmers at organicvalley.coop.